It's Thursday, February 1st, and this is the 1909, the state news' weekly podcast featuring our reporters talking about the news. I'm your host, Alex Walters. This week, I'm joined by state news administration reporter Theo Shear. First, Theo's going to walk us through some common misconceptions about what can and can't be reported to MSU's Title IX office. Then, he's going to talk to us about his revelatory reporting on the after-action review of MSU's response to the February campus shooting. With that, let's start the show. All right. Joining me now is the incredible Theo Shear. Theo, Thank you. welcome back. Good to have you back on the show. It's really good to be back. Alex. Yeah, you're Thank a frequent you. guest. You've been on. I am. I mean, good. You're pretty, like, pretty, I think half of them. Actually, well, I, mean, I just love the 1909. Yeah, so. and you don't get paid to come on because no. you're on a host. So he's you're I'm just here out of the goodness of, of your heart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of cool. You know, I think the Thank audience you. might appreciate that. All right. Well, Theo, enough joking around. We've got serious news to talk about. Um, we've done a lot of reporting here on the state news about what goes on in MSU's Office of Institutional Equity, colloquially known as the Title IX office. But as you've reported pretty extensively on, Title IX is not all they're doing. Um, no, but anyway, we've talked to a lot of people who have gone through that process, survivors of sexual violence. And you know, the decision to report, I think the survivors that we've talked to most extensively have come to regret that. Um, they have not had great experiences with it. And I think a lot of um, things were surprising to them. Maybe they didn't have a full expectation of exactly what it was going to look like when they did choose to report or when they were sort of forced into that process by some sort of mandatory reporting. Um, but anyway, so you did some great stories over the last couple of weeks just kind of helping people have maybe a little bit more information, being more fully informed about what that decision to report looks like. And so I wanted to have you on to talk about it. I think it'll be great. So yeah. first of all, and I think this is the biggest misconception, is that you know we have a very narrow view of what kind of things can be reported to the OIE. I think people tend to think of purely sexual violence, right? That's the only thing to think about. Right. But it's a lot broader than that. Can you talk the listeners of the 1909 through what's everything that can be reported to the OIE? Yeah, so it's, it's going to be easier to think of it in two categories. Mm-hmm. So we, first of all, you have this Title IX and RBSM. So that's um, sexual assault, stalking, um, sexual mm-hmm. violence in general, relationship violence, and just misconduct. Um, in that variety. You have that, but then you also have the anti-discrimination policy, or ADP. Mm-hmm. So that would cover, you know, racial discrimination, um, harassment, um, different, you know, hate speech. Um, but it's kind of, it's a little bit tricky because with all of these things, um, you know, there are instances where you might report um, speech that you perceive as hateful. However, MSU won't end up agreeing with you. Mm. You know, they'll they'll say it, this doesn't violate our policies for, for harassment. Um, and it just depends on whether it sort of reaches this level of, you know, unwelcome conduct that's, you know, objectively severe, persis- persistent and pervasive. And MSU is the one who decides that. So I generally it goes through those tunnels, but there are exceptions. Yeah. And so let's say, you know, someone has experienced conduct that they feel victimized by. They want to report it to the OIE. How do you do that? Yeah, so no matter whether it's um, under, again, this Title IX, RBSM, or ADP, you can always report it through the public incident reporting form, I believe mm-hmm. it's called. This is all online on their website. Um, and it's just this whole, uh, this this form that, um, yeah, fill out, just basically describe on your own your experiences, and then MSU, again, uh, decides what category it falls into, and the process kind of goes from there. Yeah, so, and so, you know, process going from there. Talk right, me through what's right. the, you report, right? You've said this is the conduct that I experienced. What's the what's the next thing that happens? What, what are they going to do? Yeah, so MSU's Office of Institutional Equity, OIE, mm-hmm. um, they receive the report. They have an investigator um, basically uh, look at it and then 
reach out again to the person who filed it. That person is called the, the claimant, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, you know, they ask for more details sometimes. Um, they ask for a little bit of clarification. But the really important thing is that they offer these, uh, these supportive measures uh, to the claimant. Like, for example, if you have um, a class of somebody who you've had, a, you know, faced harassment um, with or, or something and you don't want to see them, you, they can sort of coordinate, like, moving classes. They can coordinate mm. schedule changes. Um, you know, they can put in no contact directives with them. So, like, during the time of the investigation, they can enact some manner of sanctions to, like, to yeah. use things even before there's a finding. Exactly. And this is all, I yeah, see. this is before they make any sort of official decision yeah. um, in regards to those things. Um, yeah, so, and, and this, the process really starts off with that. Um, at that point, it's up to the claimant to decide whether they want to move forward and go kind of this official route, whether to pursue, pursue an investigation mm -hmm. into the claims of, of misconduct, um, to, you know, go through this whole process of having a hearing and then a final decision to see whether they violated MSU's policies officially. Um, yeah, and so that is a whole nother uh, process. So if yeah, so talk us through you know before we get through to kind of results right. that when you talk about an investigation the like investigatory process the OIE goes through if you report right. harassment or discrimination or anything like that is it you know parties uh, are submitting evidence there's interviews talk us through I mean what do you have to do during this process yeah 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 so the report is going to be referred to investigator if they decide to go through with mm -hmm. it um, then there's more of these interviews the investigator uh, reaches out to the claimant and they piece together what happens in full um, then the investigation, the investigator uses information to compile this this big report. A formal complaint is what mm. it's called. Um, once they have that, the uh, the claimant reviews and signs the the complaint. Um, and then, and I know this is getting kind of bogged down in all of these details, but now the investigation officially begins. Now that they have this signed formal complaint. Um, more interviews, basically, not only with the uh, the claimant, but also the people, the rest of the people that involves, you know, the respondent. Witnesses. The witnesses. The accused. And they exactly. use, you know, claimant, respondent, sort of legal terminology. I yes. think in more common terms, be kind of accused, accuser. Maybe right, right, right. The respondent is the person being accused. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, they have all of these interviews, um, and then they have a, um, a hearing. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah. Basically, they have this sort of cross-examination, um, a where uh, official, you know, third-party investigators kind of question each each individual uh, that's mm. involved in it. They have this. Uh, I think I'm I'm blanking on the term, but uh, a credibility. They'll do a credibility assessment, assessment is something that we've yeah. reported on, where they kind of, you know, a lot of these cases are things that people perceived, things that happened between two people in rooms people weren't in, other people weren't in, and so they do this kind of assessment of who's credible and who's not. Um, and, you know, we've talked to survivors who've gone through that process and felt um, victimized by it, talked to an expert on the kind of psychology who felt like it was real, rather unscientific, but that's the process that they use. Right, right, that is. Um, but anyway, Theo, so um, this whole thing, this this process of, reporting to, you know, the talking about sanctions, to signing the formal complaint, to the exchange of evidence during the investigatory period, to the hearing, all, all of this. Can you talk me through how long all of that uh, that takes? Right. So, I mean, officially, um, it provides 90 days to complete the investigation, 60 days for that hearing process, then 38 days to resolve mm. the whole, you know, if somebody decides to appeal, it's 38 days for that. But in total, I mean, realistically, we can expect almost about a year of, of oh, really? all of this investigation. And I mean, you know, you, you've talked to survivors um, and, and people have, have told the state news that yeah. that can be kind of triggering to, to have that prolonged. Because um, you're 
you're making me do math here, Theo, which is tricky, but 90, 60, was it 10 at the end? Um, 90, 60, 38. 38, that's 180, right? right but we right, know right. from the we know actual that data are... that on average it takes 361 days. So they're right. allowed to extend that period? Yeah, well, um, they are, yes. I they see, are so allowed to extend just... it. And part of that, I mean, and you report on this yeah. a little bit ago, is that they're kind of under over understaffed. Uh, yeah. They have some problems with that. So it, it takes much longer than what they allow uh, officially. Uh, but, yeah. But they can extend it. We did some, yeah, like you said, we did some reporting over the summer and got a hold of some of these. They had hired outside consultants to kind right. of diagnose, like, why are these cases taking a year to complete? And they had, you know, just the biggest finding was just understaffing, that the university wasn't hiring enough people to operate this office in a way where cases could go for closer or uh, shorter than a year. And like you said, you know, a lot of the survivors that we've talked to at the state news say that that year-long timeline having to relive these experiences over and over again can kind of be re-traumatizing, can almost re-victimize them. Exactly. Um, yeah, constantly, well, but, yeah, reminded of these things. But thank you. It's, you know, the, these stories that Theo's put together, he's put together a couple online explainers that you'll be able to find on statenews.com. Kind of talking through this is a great service for people to know exactly what they're getting into when they're making a decision whether or not to report uh, conduct they experience. So, yeah, thank you for doing that. Speaking of great reporting done by Theo Shear. We've got another story to talk about. Theo, let me flip over my notes. Get into it, you know. Two topics. Right. One man. He's impressive. Okay. You've been doing a lot of reporting on this after-action review right. of the Michigan State University, the shooting that occurred last February, February 13th, which we talked about a lot in the 1909. And, you know, in the wake of that shooting, a lot of questions were raised about the police response. You know, why did it take so long to take the shooter? Why were there these delays in response time from MSUPD? And so, you know, in the spring, the university decided they were going to have an outside firm come in and review it and do some sort of um, investigation of exactly how it went, why it went the way it did, and then make some recommendations. And, you know, you have been following since that began and then through to the release of it this very closely. You tell me a little bit about, you know, a couple months ago we got the report, the result of that uh, outside investigation. Just before we get into all the things you found about the process, just tell us what was in the report, what did it say? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the interesting thing. Like you said, there were a lot of questions after the shooting. I mean, for example, mm -hmm. the 13-minute gap between when the gunman fired and when the emergency alert was set out, mm -hmm. or, you know, the fact that Berkey Hall didn't have lockable doors, all of these things. And I think people were sort of looking towards the after-action review to critique, you know, really analyze those those um what went wrong? Yeah. The thing is, it didn't. Um, it didn't address either of those those major things and a lot of the other aspects of the shooting that have been heavily, you know, uh, scrutinized. Yeah. And and Bridge Michigan did a great article on this. They um, they showed through some some public documents um, that MSU didn't specifically ask firms to analyze what went wrong. It was only what could be improved, and you can kind of mm. see that in this report. It was twenty six pages, which is a lot shorter than a lot of other reports um, of this nature um, and it just didn't really go too in depth into you know officer responses I and mean, it called for a little bit more communication coordination more officers in MSU DPPS um, but not much more than that so instead of so, asking the firms to sort of answer some of the questions people had about you know what went wrong right. that night of the shooting instead the firms are asked just to provide feedback for, you know, in future emergencies, what would be done exactly. differently. I see. And, and so then, you know, we get this report, you write a great story about it, a lot of people write stories about the differences between sort of the questions that had been raised and what was answered. But then in October, we heard something that sort of, I think, sparked a lot of curiosity for us. Do you want to tell us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've talked about this on the 1909 before, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a, a trustee, Brianna Scott, 
uh, sent a letter to the board calling for the board chair's removal, um, just for for a number of reasons. There's a long list of reasons, yeah. but one of them is with the review. Yeah, one of them has to do with the review. Uh, she claims that um, the board chair, Rima Vassar, the Vassar um, told investigation investigators mm-hmm. for this review uh, to change a wording. Originally, apparently, there was this wording that was really kind of tough on the trustees. They said that they were it was uh, chaotic. They they were went beyond their role yeah. as, as trustees. Which is a sensitive thing for the MSU board. Exactly. You know, we just had a president resign saying that they were interfering and overstepping. So There's a long history of, of, of that no. sort of... Yeah. Um, and uh, and apparently, according to Scott's letter, Vassar had that changed, softened, mm-hmm. and, and into this thing that we see in the current After Action yeah. review. And so, so then, I was curious about uh, that. We should say, though, yeah. the October board meeting, Vassar then, she, she denied that allegation. Right. Saying that it was actually it was another trustee who asked for it to be changed, but that she she supported that she just was the first one. Right, it wasn't her. Yeah. yeah. Um, But anyway, so that I think in here raised a lot of questions because we were like we had this review, and now it's being said that parts of this review could be changed if they upset leaders at MSU who didn't like the way that things were done. And so we started clamoring for like, okay, well, what else was changed? Right. What else is different in the first version then? The last version, and you you started doing some reporting, just going right to right to the firm. Do you want to talk us through? Yeah, I figured you had a lot of communication most, with the firm. The most direct route. So I called the firm. Um, you know, they said that they really weren't able to tell me anything. In fact, they told me that they had a uh, an NDA with mm-hmm. the university preventing them from saying anything to the press. Um, you know, and then I I was like, all right, that makes sense. Um, I called MSU uh, a spokesperson who told me that there is actually no NDA mm. and that maybe they don't want to talk to the press, but an actual NDA doesn't exist. Um, so I went back to them and I kind of asked for a little bit of clarification on that. And they said, I mean, they gave me kind of a, uh, it was kind of a hard to decipher answer. They basically said, you know, I, that's just the, the impression that we're under. Um, you know, you can interpret that however you'd like, but we really can't comment on these, yeah. these findings. Um, and it's and interesting, that, and, and yeah. I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not an, an NDA expert, but I guess right. an NDA could be enforceable even if one party is denying its existence. In fact, I mean, maybe part of the NDA is the NDA itself. That's kind of meta, but, like, that could be the structure. Yeah, um, but, yeah but so you got back in the firm. They denied you. They actually didn't. I remember being here that day when you did that. They um, they blocked your phone, too. Yeah, yeah. We Every had to call them for my phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Um, so, I don't know, that sort of set off... Um, a few things I was just wondering, you know, how can I, you know, see what else they might have changed in this this review? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, basically we, we filed a uh, public records request. We did. And we got lucky. We got because, lucky, Because, yeah. sort of, in a way. Because, you know, normally, for the 1909 listeners who aren't familiar with the intricacies of the Michigan Freedom of Information Act, I don't know why you would be. It's so boring. But uh, anyway, if you, because this makes great podcasts talking about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, they love but that. anyway, they love, the listeners love that. Uh, but no, you can't get um, drafts made within a public right. body because they say that, like, you know, a place like MSU, even though it's subject to record requests, taxpayer dollars, they want public officials to be able to have sort of frank communication. And so stuff like a first draft is hidden from records requests. But this was not a draft within a public body. It was a draft from an outside party, this third-party firm, to a public body. Right. So we were able to get around that, and you were able yeah. to get your hands on this much-talked-about first draft of the shooting review. Well, it wasn't and, easy. I mean, the FOIA office, they, they denied the request at first. They did, yeah. But then we, we appealed. We got it eventually. We got in there. Yeah. Anyway, um, you got this first draft, mm-hmm. and, and there were a couple of big things in it that you wrote about. First, just tell me, 
you kind of got to close the loop on this allegation about the trustee yes. thing. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I confirmed that originally the draft had reported, and let me pull up the exact wording yeah. here uh, because it is interesting. Um, Initially, it reported that the Board of Trustees members desperately wanted to help and became involved in the incident beyond their expertise and outside of their appropriate role. So it's this really kind of accusatory, um, yeah. you know, finding. And what was this. the final version? If you can the do that final, to us too. Yeah, yeah. So it softened the wording. It said instead said that trustees wanted to help but became involved in the incident beyond the customary role and expectations of a governance board during an emergency. Yeah, so, so it's a lot yeah. harsher, that first finding. Exactly, yeah. So that does confirm, you know, part of what was being talked about uh, between the trustees, that yes, it, it was changed. I mean, the details of how we still, there are disagreements on yeah. between board members. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I just, uh, I spent a little bit comparing the, the two documents and seeing what else yeah. was different. Well, and you found a big, something that was uh, yeah. not present really whatsoever in the final version, which is kind of the focus of your story. And tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I found that originally the draft reported um, that agencies and officers that responded to the shooting um, refused to comply in the investigation, in, mm -hmm. in, the, uh, in the after action review um, as a whole. They didn't want to talk about or review what went on. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact said, yeah, we should also note uh, we should also this is the language from the first draft. Yes, yeah, yeah okay. this is the first draft. Go on. We should also note that some law enforcement officers, including federal agencies, refused to participate in the review. This decision and lack of trust is unfortunate. And this, you know, kind of sparked something in me. I mean, what does lack of trust mean? And I, I tried to, to figure out exactly who might have not mm -hmm. participated. I mean, I, 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 call, I talked to Marlon Lynch. He's the uh, MSU DPPS uh, vice president, I believe, and um, chief of police. He said that MSU uh, did comply with everything. He wasn't able to confirm. Again, all this stuff is done in secrecy, right? They, mm. they, uh, they don't have the names of the people they interview public. Um, so uh, Marlon Lynch wasn't able to confirm that every officer that was asked to be interviewed agreed to be interviewed. He did say um, that the final review um, you know, made a point to acknowledge MSU's cooperation. In the mm, review, the second and, version. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, both versions oh, okay. said that. So he's using that as proof of their compliance. Yeah. Um, and what about other? Because you reached out to so many agencies for the story. What about other agencies? What yeah, did they tell you? It's kind of it's it's interesting. The only agency um, was the FBI, and mm -hmm. they said that uh, that they would not comment basically on this. That they supported their law enforcement officer on the scene, but they wouldn't comment on that specific hmm. allegation. But every other local agency, I mean, I contacted about a dozen now, um, East Lansing Police Department, Lansing, Meridian Township, Ingham County, uh, State Police, et cetera, they all said that they weren't contacted for the review at all. The investigators didn't even reach out to them. Really? Yeah, so it's, it kind of raises even more questions now about the extent of this review as a whole. I mean, they're saying that people, you know, refuse to participate, but who exactly was that? I mean, the only person who, again, declined to comment on this was the FBI. Mm. And the uh, other federal agencies, what did they say? Right, right, right. The, there were four federal agencies. FBI was one of them. Uh, the other three, they all said that they weren't contacted either. Really? So the firm saying, you know, none of the agencies complied, that's so disappointing. Right. The agencies are saying the firm never asked even us. asked us, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, well, FBI aside. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Theo, you've done so much great work on this. They don't, they don't want to tell you anything. You're going up against them, getting the facts. I'm sure you're going to keep doing it. Answer some more of these questions for us. 
thank you so much for coming on the show, for doing all this great work. Thank you so much, Alex. Appreciate yeah. being on here. That's all for now, but we'll be back next week with fresh reporting from the great minds here at the State News. Until then, the stories we discussed and plenty more available at statenews.com. Thank you to our credible podcast editor, Anthony Brinson, my guest, Theo, and most of all, thank you for listening. For the 1909, I'm Alex Walters.